Let's pray and ask God to help us. Will you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this uh, great weekend we have together. Thank you that you speak to us uh, from so long ago in your scriptures and that you continue to speak to us by your Spirit day after day. And we ask now that as we come to your word we might hear what you are saying that we might understand you better and ourselves better. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine if you were one of the grandchildren of one of the really rich people in Asia. I was trying to find out who it was and I uh, asked Andrew, uh, is it your grandfather? He said no. Um, I actually didn't ask him that, I knew it wasn't his grandfather. But uh, there is a man called Mr. Yo coming up on the screen uh, from the YTL company. Uh, they're into construction. Anyone know him? Not personally, but just know of him. Yeah, okay, good. Um, imagine if you were the grandchild of this man. Think of all the great privileges you would have. Education. Toys. Gadgets, good family, holidays, five-star hotels, all the privileges of Asia, all the treasures and pleasures that Asia can offer. Now, although many of us are not as rich as that, but as I look around and I look at myself, we are fairly rich, aren't we? In terms of the world, uh, we are probably the top 10 or 5% in terms of our riches. Sure, we're not as rich as Mr. Gates, but Hey, we are quite rich. We've got phones, we've got enough worrying about the next meal, where it's going to come from. We can take time out and spend a nice weekend in a hotel like this. We are the rich of the world. Just go back. Imagine if you were one of the grandchildren of the super rich. Just imagine if, if this grandchild, for some reason, decided to join some Christian or religious club. And so much did he get involved in this club that he fell out of place, uh, fell out of favour, no longer welcomed by the grandfather. So much identified himself with this religious sect that the grandfather no longer wanted him. Imagine that. What would the public think? What would you think? Wouldn't people think, oh, what a waste given all that up and what for? Remember the little baby Jesus? Actually not Jesus, uh, going ahead of myself here. Remember the little baby Moses? Floating along the river, picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. Grew up as the grandson of Pharaoh. The superpower, the king, the He's the one who actually grows up in the court in the great luxuries and treasures of Egypt. And he, when he grew up, he identified himself with the Israelites. Remember that little battle? He chooses the side of the Israelites versus the Egyptians when they're having a fight. And then he has to flee. He so identifies himself with God's people that no longer is he in favour of the grandfather. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 says, coming up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to his reward. Gain up all the treasures that Egypt could, or even the, some of the sinful pleasures, and yet he saw that there was something better. What? Well, something that's caused the greater wealth. That to be on side with Christ and even to suffer the reproach that, that they're being laughed at, to be one of sort of Christ people, that somehow that was a greater wealth of all the treasures of Egypt. What are these greater missions? This conference uh, is a play on the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, coming up on the screen. A famous uh, number one bestseller. I actually read that book a few years ago and it's all about um, what the rich dads tell their kids that the middle class and the poor fail to tell their kids about how to get rich. I remember one of the uh, suggestions was, don't worry about climbing the ladder. Own the ladder. Uh, Lots of good suggestions like that. Uh, It's all about how to get rich, how to get the greater riches of the world. Well, this camp is not for rich dad, poor dad, but looks like, thank you. Uh, No, no, go back. No, no, back, 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 back. It's called uh, Rich Dad, Rich Kids. Rich dad, rich kids. The house is loose. It's not there. It's gone. Don't worry. Yep. It's called rich dad, rich kids. Rich dad, rich kids. That is, he is the greater, the greater wealth, the greater treasure. Well, what is it? Point two we up to. Moses saw what this greater wealth was. And it's about to be, it's up being the son of another. No longer the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but a son of another, the son of Yahweh, for he chose, as I said, to belong to the people of God. God was the one who had promised his great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, great wealth, great promise. And Moses now identifies himself again with the people of Abraham, the people of God. And God had said to Abraham, you will have a great inheritance. The promised land. Now, we all know the promised land is spoken of as the land of milk and honey, but let's just see uh, how good it is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's Moses now grown up. Here's Moses who's rescued the people out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh and his slavery, brought them across the promised land, and 40 years later, He's the generation that survives. And just before they enter this promised land, the land of Canaan, he describes to the people just how good this promised land is. The wealth that is there. This is the reward that Moses was looking forward to. This is the greater wealth that he envisaged. So you see chapter 8 verse 1, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And then verse 2, if you glance your eye down, verse 2 to 3 is all about how God took them these 40 years 
it wasn't an easy trip. It wasn't sort of uh, first-class Malaysian Airlines, you know, from Egypt to the promised land. It was more like, you know, uh, Tiger Air or something like that. You know, it, it was a hard trip. There was no food, and God provided manna, which means, what is it? Right, so next time you'll have to do something, uh, just go, manna. Uh, right? <laughs> there was not much food, and yet God provided. There was no drinking, yet God provided water out of the rock. It was a hard time, and yet God got them there. Your clothing did not wear out, verse 4. Verse 5 is a little touch, a little hint of how God relates to them as a father. Chapter 8, verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So, verse 6, you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God by walking his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord is bringing you into a good land. Let's see how good it is. A land of brooks of water, of fountain and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. It's all about water, right? Water's important. Uh, apparently, San Francisco and LA, you know, you think, why would anyone build their cities on a fault line? Well, it's because in the beginning they were there because that's where a lot of the water sources was in America. Water's important for us here, isn't it? Singapore relies on Malaysia for their water, doesn't it? And so, water is important. Just turn off the tap and you can go to Singapore. And so, Water, but not only is there water in this land, in this promised land, but look at, look at it, look how great it is in verse 8. It's a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, honey. A land in which, verse 9, you'll eat bread without scarcity. In whose land are iron and, and you can dig copper. Verse 10, you shall eat and have your food and you, sh- and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Later on in this uh, cab, we're going to play board games that I see on your little outline. And one of the board games my family loves uh, playing is this game coming up on the screen called Settlers. Anyone played seen Settlers? Yeah, there's a few of you. Well done. Um, Settlers is a game, next slide, where uh, there's a board. And on this board, you see different coloured little hexagons. And different colours represent one is copper, or sort of iron. One is wheat, one is sheep, one is uh, wood, one is clay. And you've got to, you know, whenever your number comes up, you sort of put little things on it and you roll the dice. And whenever this number comes up, you get all these cards. You collect a con- uh, collection of cards to then build roads and build houses and, and you settle, you, you see. But each time, it's, it's the throw of the dice that enables you to get all these riches. The promised land is where... God is the one who's going to give you all these riches. Every time the dice is thrown, it comes up exactly what you want, and you suddenly get all these houses and all this beautiful land. But it's not luck. It's God who gives it to you. Turn over to uh, chapter 6, let's go to one page, and you see chapter 6, verse 10. So when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build. See, remember, they came in, they took over the land, and the Canaanites were before them, who God is driving out because of their sin. They left buildings, they left, what else? Verse 11. Good things that you did not build, systems that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Uh, it's like going to a settler's game halfway through and someone has to go and you take over and all this stuff has been there for you and you didn't even actually do anything for it. God is the one who provides you with this rich land. 
wonders. It is a land where you will have rest. So the next slide, thank you, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 12. But when you go over the Jordan to live in the land the Lord your God has given you to inherit, when he gives you rest from all your enemies around and you live in safety. That's what you wanted in a country. Not only great uh, fruit and produce, you want security, don't you? This is going to be that land. That's what you now, Old Testament. You know that they enjoyed that land for a little while, but because they did do what God told them not to do, that is, they did worship other gods, that more later on tonight, God actually threw them out of the good land. Ejected them. They went to Babylon. The land was no longer good for them. It became a desolate land. And yet the prophets kept on saying, there's going to be in the future a time when you will come back to the land. And the land will once again have great plenty and it's going to be so good. It's just like the Garden of Eden. So turn me to Ezekiel 36, it's actually coming up on the screen, 36, 35. The prophet Ezekiel says, this land, this promised land, was one laid, once laid waste, and when you got ejected, has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and captured. And as you look forward to the future, you God's people, you Israel, are going to actually inherit a great land, that land again. It's going to be yours. It's going to be even better than, than before. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden? There was trees. There was fruit of every kind. There was the tree of life. There was God with them. There was... We go back to the Garden. When we get to the New Testament, we see that the inheritance that is ours is not physical, but spiritual. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 1. That was read out for us earlier. Ephesians chapter 1. The inheritance is not physical, but spiritual. Pick it up from verse 11. In him that is in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, we have obtained, and there's this word, the word of the promised land. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were first to hope in Christ, maybe to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was filled with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. That is, we are not looking for a physical wealth, but it's going to be a spiritual wealth. It's going to be an inheritance that we now have already, but like all inheritance, that you sort of get it, but you, you don't get it, isn't it? It's yours, you, you know, you know, your great-grandfather wrote it down, and you're in the will, but you don't have it yet. And there's this tension of, yes, you got it, but you don't have it in this whole passage here. We have a wealth, a riches that God has given us. And yet, it looks forward to the future. What is this inheritance? In verse 18, Paul prays, go down to verse 18. 
And he prays that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts actually, may be opened, that we might see what? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the future certainty, the hope? And how does he describe that future certainty? He speaks it as, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We're going to share this great inheritance, like the promised land that was the inheritance of the Jews. It's going to be rich. You see the word there? The riches of his glorious It's going to be lavished upon you. What is it? Why is it so good? We know, of course, at the end of the Bible, there's a description of what this inheritance is like. Come up in the passage there, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4. Remember the new heavens and the new earth? Remember the Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God? This is God's people beautifully dressed or the husband, like Pat Middleton, I guess. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now is the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And then look at this. Verse 4 is beautiful. Verse 4 is beautiful for any of us who know anything of life where there is in this world suffering and difficulty and pain and loss. There in the heaven, there in the inheritance, there in the future promised land, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or That's all the old order of things. That's this world kind of stuff. That's all past. And in chapter 22, if you go there, thank you. The angel showed me the river of the water. There's the water again, isn't it? Like in the promised land, the water this time of life. The clear crystal flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember, it's like the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Bearing twelve crops of fruit, one every month. Here's, here's heaven. The heaven is the great promised land. As Christians, we are saved out of slavery, out of Egypt, as it were, and we are en route to the promised land of heaven. Friends, what makes heaven great? If I was to ask you, you know, just imagine, what do you think? Why would heaven be so good? Yeah, all this is sort of different images that describe how good it is. No more pain, no more crying. And what does what it be like? When I was young, I played with basketball, and I wasn't very good. Actually, on the bottom of the team, that's not too bad. Um, but there was one game where I remember I intercepted the ball from the back and dribbled it all the way down the court, and then beyond the three-point line, I shot it. And it hit right off the backboards, straight into the ring, just touching the net, not even touching the ring, there's nothing but net. And everyone clapped. And as I look back, I think, maybe this is what heaven is like. You know, that I'll be playing for the Chicago Bulls, and I'll be the last, you know, the person coming down, and we're playing for the championship, and we'll be two points behind, and two seconds to go, I take the shot, and the ball straight, nothing but net, and I win the championship. 
and Michael Jordan comes and puts me on his shoulders and everyone is cheering, that would be heaven. And hell would be the other team looking at the shot going in, you know? Sometimes we look at even Revelation and we think that's what heaven is like, but it's, it's all centered around me, isn't it? I won't have any more pain. I won't be crying anymore. Everything will be good for me. Look more carefully at Revelation chapter 21 and 22 here. Go back to uh, chapter 21, thanks. You see here, why is it that there's no more tears, etc.? Because verse 4, He will wipe away every tear. God is the one who will do it. God! Actually, there. So, verse 3 of chapter 21, there, you see, the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. That's why heaven is so good, because God is there at the very center. Even the next passage, Revelation 22, again, thanks. Notice where this river of life comes from. This one, from the throne of God and from the land. See, God is at the centre and that is why heaven is so good. Because it's all about him. And it's because he is there. That is why it's going to be good for us. We are but the, the, the byproduct. Now, go back to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. Notice verse 14, what the footnote says. Verse 14, and also verse 11, both of those verses. The footnote, I don't know if you've got a footnote, for the word uh, inheritance. In my footnote it says, I pick up from verse 11, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, and the footnote says, In Christ... Uh, we have obtained or well mm, verse, let's pick it up from um, verse 14 verse 14 gives you more clear um, the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance the footnote says the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it or we should actually say who is the guarantee of our inheritance until God redeems his possession. That is, the inheritance is not so much something that we get, but that we are the inheritance. So you see, verse 14, the footnote, God actually owns, actually redeems his possession. That is, we are his people. That is the key. That is, heaven it's not about something, some inheritance that I get. Heaven, first and foremost, is about God. He's at the centre, and we are His inheritance. We are His special possession. We are His special treasure. We belong to Him. Right? That's why He's our God. We are His people. That is the key it's relationship. That's, that's what heaven is about. So those of you who are in the Toy Story, it was at the bottom of Andy's foot. No, not Andy's foot. The bottom of uh, 
Woody's foot is Andy, isn't it? Right? That is, he belongs to Andy. It's the idea of being belonging to someone that is the key that makes it so special. We are those who belong to God. We are his rich inheritance. When we get to heaven, we actually see God Now, that's what God's people will inherit. But here's the question. How do you actually inherit such a thing? Especially when we are not Jewish. I don't know if there's any Jews amongst us. My wife is actually half Jew because her father's Jewish. That makes my children all quarter Jewish. And so we have, I think, one and a quarter Jews in our family. We have them all up, right? But basically, we're not Jews. We are, we are Gentiles, right? So how do we as Gentiles inherit uh, the promise made to Abraham? Well, that's where Ephesians chapter 1 is so, so great, isn't it? In verse 11 there, it says, We, that is we Jews, verse 11, obtain this inheritance. But by the time we get to verse 13, In whom, in Christ, you also, that is you who are, who are not Jewish, you who are Gentiles, will be guaranteed your inheritance as well. Due to technical difficulties, the rest of the talk was not able to be recorded. We apologise for this and we hope you enjoy the rest of the talks. Thank you.